This week on Crossing the Lane Lines. Um, you know, back in 1957 or 58, when they applied to that swim club and they were denied, you know, some folks would have said we could have went and marched and protested and forced them to make us become members. That would have been one option. But our founders said, we're not going to go that route. We're going to raise our own money. We're going to buy this four and a half acres of land and we'll have our own pool. The Nile Swim Club, located in Yadin, Pennsylvania, is the oldest black-owned pool in the country. Today, on a special episode of Crossing the Lane Lines, we'll hear an interview of Anthony Peterson, the president of the Nile Swim Club, conducted by Victoria Prizia, the curator of the pool exhibit in Philadelphia, about the founding and mission of the Nile Swim Club and its impact on the black community specifically and the broader community in general. All that's coming up. Stay tuned. Anthony, um, if you could just um, state your name and um, and then your affiliation with the Nile Swim Club. Okay, yes. My name is Anthony Patterson Sr., I am the Nile Board President. And what is the Nile Swim Club? The Nile Swim Club is the oldest African-American-owned swim club in the country. It was founded back in 1959 when three of our founding members attempted to join another swim club in our area, and they were denied admittance. So those three members decided to um, invest their own money and get the community involved and purchased the four and a half acres of land in Yaden, PA to start the Nile Swim Club of Yaden. And how long have you been a part of the board? Well, I've been on the board now for four years now, but I grew up in Yaden, PA, and I've been always, it's been a part of my family for a very long time. So you and your siblings um, went to the, the Nile Swim Club when you were growing up? Yeah, absolutely. As I told you earlier, I am the youngest of 19 children. Uh, same mother, same father, by the way. And growing up, um, we were always told that dad would come home from work and say, kids, go outside and play, go down to the pool. So this pool has been in our family since 1959. We moved out to Yaden in 1958, and our family's pretty much has been around the pool uh, for quite some time. So what, um, you know, what attracted you to become more involved um, with the club, it, you know, as opposed to just being a member? Was there something right. that, you know, is there something about water that motivates you? Or Well, well actually, I got involved because a few years ago, uh, I wanted to have a family reunion. I typically was having it, having those reunions at my home. As, you, as I stated earlier, I have a pretty large family. And it got to be a bit much at my home. So I went out to the Nile Swim Club and said, let's put something together. And when I got there, a couple of the board members explained to me the issues they were having uh, as far as the upkeep of the pool. Their back taxes were a concern. And they asked me if I would uh, get involved and help them uh, turn it around. And I, uh, like I said, I've, all my life, I've been pretty much a pretty hard worker. And I kind of jumped in with both feet. Not really, not realizing exactly how much it would entail, and I got involved, and I've been involved ever since. And it seems like there are some really good things happening at the pool. Uh, this is just some background info, but um, 
Yeah. So you've managed to do some really wonderful things. There's, um, you know, the the recognition that you're um, about to receive in terms of a historic site and also with the yeah. food drives. And can you just talk about those two things? Absolutely. So basically, um, the Nile Swim Club will be receiving on May 22nd a historical marker for being the oldest African-American pool in the country. Um, so that's one thing that we're very, very proud of. Additionally, when I got involved with the pool, I felt as though we should be doing more stuff that's related to the community. So we started two years ago a No Child Will Drown in Our Town campaign where we're providing free swimming lessons to children in our community. Because uh, as you know, drowning is a very, very large, you know, huge statistic in our community. And we felt it was very important to teach these children how to swim. So every year we teach approximately anywhere from 150 to 200 children how to swim for free. I then was contacted by an organization once COVID hit about the need for um, their, the ability for us to serve food boxes to folks in our community. And right now we're distributing a little over 2,000 boxes of food and over 2,000 gallons of milk every Saturday morning to folks in our community as well. Um, and we'll continue to do that for as long as there is a need. It's mm, so wonderful. And we'll get a little bit more to that at the, um, at okay. the end. But um, so, I mean, it's a little bit. So some of the questions that I have, you know, are really focused on, you know, public swimming pools. But I think that the same yeah. goes for the swim club. Um, and I guess the, the first question would be, you know, why is the act of swimming important to the health of an individual or a community? You know, why why is swimming, why is the, why was the pool such an important part, um, you know, of your uh, family and, and community when right. you were a child? But like, what, what what's important about swimming? Well, I think first and foremost, as you know, in the African-American community, um, there's a severe impact of drowning in our community. A lot of children, a lot of adults, for that matter, lose their lives uh, drowning. And um, we even had a couple instances at our pool where, you know, a couple of kids, you know, about five or six kids will come over to the pool, you know, and they'll all start jumping. Most of them can swim, but some cannot. And then a couple of them will jump in 11 feet. And then, you know, one of the kids who sees their other peers doing that feels though that they can do that. And then they jump in 11 feet and then quickly realize that they cannot swim that well. And then my lifeguards, of course, go in and save them. And then we immediately enroll them into our No Child Will Drown campaign. Because I think the biggest concern we have in our community is, you know, the lack of access to good pools and the access to getting, you know, training and swimming lessons. And what, so, you know, you've touched on this, is like, what is the impact if excluded? And you're saying, you know, this disparity in drowning. Um, and along those lines, I mean, you know, the Nile Swim Club is was the is is a was known as or was founded as a answer to the white flight to the pools in, um, you know, most uh, you know to the pools the pools where um, they were basically serving white people. But um, correct. It it but today anyone can be a, a member. Is that true? For the most part, uh, for the most part, there has been you know significant progress in that area and most of the communities, but there are still some areas where it's somewhat of a challenge, especially down south in other areas where, you know, there is some, I would say, some segregation. Um, 
So I feel as though, you know, when the Nile Swim Club decided back in 1959 to step up and provide a swimming pool for our community, that was very important. And I think that the community pools in Philadelphia and other surrounding cities could also, you know, the fact that they're open for the summer and they let the kids jump around in three feet, that is good. I think they all should institute some sort of life safety and, and you know, swimming lessons for these children. I think they should put it in their budget that they should have swimming lessons, you know, in the mornings, like we do every Saturday, you know, during the week, during the mornings from nine to 11, nine to 12, before we open, we're teaching these children how to swim. And I think that is very, very important in our community. And do you think that that's the answer to the disparity in drowning between, um, you know, black youth and white youth? Uh, you know, when we're looking at that disparity and, uh, you know, if, if you're a black teenager, you're six times more likely to drown than a white teenager. Um, are you seeing that swimming lessons, that's the answer? Absolutely. And then lack of access to the pools and to, you know, proper training. Absolutely. That, that's our biggest concern. And I think that we definitely need to um, improve that in all areas. Like I said, the city of Philadelphia should perhaps in their budget, not only open those pools, have some lifeguards there that can teach these children how to swim. And do you have a water safety training program? So if you, once you learn to swim, do some of your members end up becoming, or your, some of your students in the learn to swim program become um, lifeguards? At Absolutely. Yes. That's another thing that I'm very proud of. We probably hire anywhere from 25 to 30 youth during the summer months, uh, half of which are our lifeguards. And we have maintenance staff and front desk staff and snack bar. And uh, yes, absolutely. A lot of the kids in our community that learned how to uh, swim at our pool are currently lifeguards at our pool. Absolutely. So then, as a matter of fact, one other note, it also allow you to get job, uh, scholarships. I have two nieces that swam for PDR and got full scholarships to West Virginia. So, I mean, you can get a job, you can get a college degree. So, you know, swimming can do a lot, you know, for those that work hard at it and take advantage of those opportunities. So you, your two nieces swam for Jim Ellis? Yes, they did. Uh, Absolutely. You know, he's Valerie and Vanessa Patterson. Yes, they did. He's on, he's working on this project. So, um, Okay. Yes. Great man. Great Kappa man. I know him very well. And so he, part of his philosophy is that um, the pools provide community. Um, which, yes. You know, in the, the few times that you and I have spoken, it sounds like you also believe in that philosophy that um, the Nielsen Club is, is more than um, just a place to get exercise or yeah. recreation, that it, it is it is a fabric. It's part yes. of the fabric of the community for the 700 to 1,000 members. Members, absolutely. Actually, I call it almost a safe haven for our children. I mean, growing up and even to this day, you know, the young kids really need somewhere to go. When the when COVID hit and we're considering about not opening our pool and they took all the swings off all the at the playground, they took all the basketball courts down. I just said to myself, there's going to be, you know, nothing can come good of this. These kids have no playground to go to. They have no basketball courts. They're going to be sitting around bored. And then typically most children, you know, teenagers typically may end up in getting into mischief. So I pretty much pushed my board and said, listen, we need to open this pool this summer. We'll abide by the COVID guidelines. We'll admit a certain number of kids into the pool at a time. You know, an hour in, they get the, you know, we do a wristband program. We put 25 or 30 uh, children or adults into the pool at one time for an hour. 
Those kids then get out the pool, and then the next group goes in. And now that we have a brand-new basketball court, we're working on our tennis courts and four-and-a-half acres of land. You have the snack bar. You kind of get out the pool for a little while, and then the next group goes in. I think it's very important that these types of um, venues are available to the folks in our community, our young folks in our community, because, you know, as you know, and living in Philadelphia, we have our issues and our concerns. And um, our pool is a very, very safe environment. We have no issues whatsoever. Everyone who's there is a member or their family member is a member or someone you know is a member. And if, you know, growing up when you got out of line, you didn't just have to talk to, you know, your parents. You could talk to, you know, neighbors. And a neighbor would say, hey, listen, straighten up, kid. And that's what we do at the Nile Swim Club. These kids are very, you know, they're good kids and they get jobs. We have them working in the snack bar. We have them cleaning. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, because there's like I said, I was young of 19 children. We couldn't afford to be a, have memberships. I went there and I picked up the trash so that I could swim every day. So I go, I clean up, I do some work, and then I got a hamburger, French fries, and a day of swimming. <laughs> and that is what I did growing up. So do you do you consider yourself now, Anthony, um, an activist, or you know, do you uh, or an, I mean, I know you're an entrepreneur with your work, but um, right. is this um is this community action? I believe so. And my older brothers and sisters say that I'm doing God's work and giving back to the community this way. They say that I have a, uh, like a mission, a missionary or whatever, with the food drives and all the stuff that we're doing. Um, I guess you would call me somewhat of an activist, but I think, I, and I don't do it for, you know, for being an activist. I just saw a need in our community and uh, I just pursued it and uh you know and help out any way i can and i mean i guess in the 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 bigger picture you know the the nile swim club is such a unique entity in this whole swimming history um, right. and do you you know when you think about it um in your mind do you relate the nile swim club to the civil rights movement absolutely absolutely um, you know, back in 1957 or 58, when they applied to that swim club and they were denied, you know, some folks would have said we could have went and marched and protested and forced them to make us become members. That would have been one option. But our founders said, we're not going to go that route. We're going to raise our own money. We're going to buy this four and a half acres of land and we'll have our own pool. And I take great pride in that. You know, if it weren't for them deciding to create the Nile Swim Club, there would be no Nile. We would all join the other swim club and would have, you know, been at that pool. And, I'm, you know, the fact that they said we're not going to go that route, we're going to buy our own, have our own in our community is 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 very powerful back in 1959. And um, they did it. And I just said to myself when the board members reached out to me and they told me the, you know, the financial trouble they were having and the membership issues they were having because of the condition of the pool, you know, I invested my, some of my money and I reached out to some of my family and other associates and uh, just asked folks to start writing checks. So let's turn this thing around and we're not going to lose this pool. You know, that was heading into foreclosure. And they were talking about, you know, somebody would probably buy that land and up putting a bunch of, uh, you know, housing on it or something. And I said, we said we cannot let that happen. So basically, I just reached out to, I guess, this generation of activists, if you want to call them that, and entrepreneurs. And I guess 
knock on wood, some folks blessed with some finances. And I just started raising money and uh, I paid off all the taxes. So we have zero tax debt. We, um, we've rehabbed the bathrooms. We're about to redo the uh, tennis courts. Jeff Brown was gracious enough to provide us with a brand new basketball court. So we're going to get new fencing, expand the parking lot. And we're going to have fundraisers for all those events, for all those projects that we're currently working on around the pool. And is it still focused on the black community or is there diversity in the community? It's extremely diverse. I'm glad you asked that question. The Nile Swim Club has always been extremely diverse and we're very inclusive. All are welcome to the Nile Swim Club. I would say ballpark, maybe 30% of our membership is probably uh, white, Asian, Latino, somewhere around there. We have a you know quite a few members that are members of our pool. They love the pool. They bring their kids. They bring their families. They come have cookouts, and it's very welcoming. And we you know all are welcome at the Nile Swim Club. And so that's interesting too because you knew how to swim as a kid. Right. Yes, I learned at the Nile Swim Club. And did yes. your parents swim? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure, to be quite honest with you. My father passed away when I was three years old, and my mother, uh, she probably didn't have time to swim because there was 14 of us still at home when my dad passed away. She was a housewife, of course. She was, you know, she had started having children age 16 and didn't stop until she was 42, and went to work at Fisher Mercy Hospital working uh well she started out working mornings from seven to three but got a couple dozen phone calls the first week so then she went to work from 11 to 7 11 p.m to 7 a.m so she would work from 11 get up at 10 go work from 11 to 7 and then get us out to school get some rest get up at five cook our dinner go back to bed and then get back up at 10 o'clock and she did that for about 25 years went back to school got her ged and got her nursing certificate so I don't think mom learned how to swim, quite honestly. I think she was pretty busy raising all of us. <laughs> so you would have learned through a swim program or, or just from swimming, just, just from being? Just at the Nile Swim Club and, you know, guys, I guess, you know, tossing me in 11 feet and said, hey, figure it out, you know. But we used to play, you know, all like fox in the hole and swim across and all that stuff. They did have some lessons back then, you know, but uh, you kind of back then you just – got in the pool, started kicking around and watching what other folks were doing. And I kind of learned with a little bit of instruction from the uh, managers and lifeguards there uh, quite a bit. And then I, you know, there, there was a dive team and we would start diving off the high dive and low dive and learning how to do flips and all that stuff. And I just got pretty good at it. Is there, a, as a matter of fact, that's a, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. We're also planning to start the Nile Sharks, the Nile Swim Team and the Nile Dive Team as well. The Nile Sharks is another way to get our youth involved in the pool. You know, we're going to teach them how to dive. We're going to teach them how to swim, swim fast. You know, we have a couple of folks over there that you just see them. And I know they can be swimmers. You can just, I can just look at them in the water and see how they move in that water. I say, you can swim. You swim as fast as my nieces. I mean, these girls, these young girls and young boys, I mean, they just have, I guess, you know, raw talent, I guess you would call it. Like initially, they just, you can just see it in them. They're fast and they, they can swim and they know how to hold their breath. You know, they're playing fox in a hole where you got to get from one side of the pool to the other. They're jumping in on one side, going all the way to the bottom, swimming across, then going back up. So they they have the raw talent. They just need a couple of coaches to guide them in the right direction. Like a Jim Ellis, for example. I would love to have Jim Ellis come out. 
So that's competitive swimming. So those yes. sharks would be competitive swimming. And, Absolutely. And another, My goal is to have competitive swimming. Yes. And, and diving. And this would be new? So have Yes, it would be. Mm-hmm. Yes. So two programs, another thing I kind of put on my checklist of things to accomplish at the Nile Swim Club as president. And do you, why do you think that um, that kind of competition is important? When you think about someone like Simone Manuel, who, you know, is the first um, African um, American woman to win, you know, gold at the Olympics, which is pretty incredible that. Oh, absolutely. First. It's amazing. It's just, it's just crazy uh, that she, you know, that right. she's the first and that was what, um, only right. years ago. So it, right. is that, for you, do you think the competitive aspect um, makes it just more popular or, or, or what, what does that, that competition do to I, it? Again, just, and I, I don't know if I, everything, a lot of things that I do kind of stem up from my upbringing. And growing up, you know, it was very competitive in my house. It was just, it was just the way it was. We just grew up competitively, you know, from, you know, if you didn't get downstairs fast enough, you may or may not have gotten something to eat almost. <laughs> so it was, so I've always been extremely competitive. I've, I'm a very competitive person when it comes to raising money. I, I, ch- I make sure I'm the top person to raise money when it comes to selling houses, when it comes to everything I do, I work very hard at to be, you know, if not at the top, pretty close. And I think that in our community, in our community, we need to do just that. We need to push our young people harder. I'm not a fan of, you know, everybody getting a trophy and and an award at the end of the, no, you work hard and you get an award. And I'm going to push these folks to earn their, you know, their civil matters. Like for our No Child Will Drown campaign, Basically, you start in three feet, then you go to four feet, then you go to five feet, and then you jump off the diving board in 11 feet, and then you swim over to the um, to the steps, climb up, and we hand you a gold medal. And we have about a 90% success rate. Those 10% that do not jump off that diving board, they do not get medals. Mm-hmm. Some parents say they know how to swim. Nah, nah, nah. No, that's very nice. I'm proud of that they know how to swim. But until you jump into 11 feet of water and can swim from either side to get to that ladder, you're not, you know, you're not getting in 11 feet of our pool and you're not getting a medal. And then the kids see that and then they get a summers. Like I said, they start a little nervous, you know, it's 11 feet. And then they see all the other kids standing over there with those medals. They say, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to do it. You know, there's a lifeguard in the water. Of course, nothing's going to happen to them. I, you know, I guess there's two lifeguards in the water. There's lifeguards on both sides of the pool. So nothing would ever happen to the children. But I think that they need to work hard and earn those medals. And I think that's very important for everyone in and out of our community. Yeah. No, I I, I was involved in a lot of, um, I taught swimming lessons too. Okay. So please stop by the nod. I'd love to have you as a coach. <laughs> Saturday mornings, I, I 9 a.m. I really love it. I did love it. <laughs> Come on over. I'd love to have you. <laughs> um, so I, I guess it's interesting to me, too, because um, you, you know, the fact that you grew up with this swimming culture kind of as your extension of your backyard in a way. Um, Pretty much. Your parents would just send you all to the, to the pool. Um, but what do you think now in, in this phase of your life, the Nile Swim Club says to the world, like about swimming, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, social justice and, and right. the civil rights movement and, 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 you know, what do you think it symbolizes? 
first and foremost, I think it symbolizes that African-Americans do know how to swim. You know, there's always been a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A myth. Myth that we do not know how to swim. We don't know our way in water. And I truly blame a lot of it has to do with the fact of lack of access. I think if, you know, if we had access to water, just like we have access to good schools and access to everything else, we would be a whole lot more successful. So I think that the Sonata Swim Club will be here for a very long time and we will continue to teach our children and anyone's child how to swim. And it's for free. So we don't charge anyone to learn how to swim at our pool. If you show up on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock and you're, you know, you're part of our, we have a registration, we will teach you how to swim for free. And I will make sure that continues on indefinitely. There are times when we weren't sure we could fund the lifeguards to do it. I flat out told the board, I will see to it that payroll is met to make sure we teach these kids how to swim. Under no condition will we stop this program because of funding. It's wonderful. I mean, it really is wonderful. Yes, it is. Um, it's very important. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 you know, it's something that um, Philadelphia could learn from. Um, Absolutely. And I would love to talk to them about their recreation department and perhaps trying to get some additional funding for swimming lessons. Again, like I said, it's, it's very nice that the pools, they closed last year due to COVID. And that's why, you know, that was challenging for our community. But more importantly, just opening those pools up and letting kids splash around in three and four feet of water is not the answer, in my opinion. You should have structured swimming lessons in the mornings. You should give, you know, knock out two, three hours, pick a time, you know, nine o'clock to 11, 12, whatever. And basically the pool's only for swimming lessons. And after the lessons are over, then let the kids get in the air and start swimming and splashing around. But they need a structured swimming instructors teaching these kids how to swim, not just splashing around in water. That's very important. Yeah. Which is something that when you had the separate but equal pools, they weren't at all equal because absolutely they were you know like you're saying right. three feet versus having the right. difference. Oh yeah, in depth. they have dive, they have swim teams, diving teams, <laughs> swimming lessons, all that. And to this day, I mean, you know, there's pools in our community. I'm not going to name pools, of course, but there are pools that are in our community at the same time that opened up the same, pretty much the same year, late fifties. All these pools opened up. With, you know, a lot of those things. And the Nile Swim Club basically opened up with these members asking our community to, you know, help raise these funds. They mortgaged their houses and bought this four and a half acres of land so that we would have, you know, similar opportunities. Yeah. And I'm going to let that happen for our the next generation. You know, I last count, I think I have 180 nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. And all, most of them are members of the Nile, and I'm teaching all of them how to swim. I got them all. I said, get your kids over here. We're going to teach your kids how to swim. You don't want to go down to the beach, go down to Atlantic City, go out to the ocean, go to the pool, you know, go out on vacation and get in the pool. And next thing you know, God forbid, something tragic happens. Teach these kids how to swim. That is very important. Very important. So, Anthony, it seems you've touched on this a little bit, but it's this idea of, you know, the 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 challenges of, you know, the history of swimming, the, segre the history of segregation. Um, in your mind, do you see this as a, an issue of structural racism and exclusion, or do you see it as an, a, a, a problem of, of social class and elitism, or do you see it as more of a social justice issue that, um, you know, what, what, in your mind, and it could be all of those things, a combination Right. Those things, but is there is there any 
kind of um, any theme that feels, Gross. you know, most, uh, most, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, the strongest uh, yes. for you? I would have to say the strongest, strongest would have to be the, uh, the structural racism. I mean, you know, the reason why the Nile Swim Club was created was because of racism, flat out. The three members that went to try to join the swimming club, one gentleman, they tell the story of he forgot to write something on his application. He went back up to the pool, to the desk and say, oh, I forgot to you know, give you some information. And the gentleman literally pulled their applications out of the trash can and handed it back to him. And then he gave it back to him. So structural racism is basically why the Nile Swim Club was founded. And, you know, now I don't think it's as much as social class and elitism because I think, you know, it's, we've gotten better in our country. I mean, there's more African-Americans in the middle class than there were back in the 1950s and 60s. Um, is there still more work to do? Absolutely. But, you know, thank goodness for our HBCUs, you know, more of us are getting college educated and more of us are seeing, you know, the opportunity. But I think the structural racism is what really, you know, that pretty much triggered all of this pretty much back through, you know, Jim Crow and slavery and everything else. I mean, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's still much more to do. I mean, our country, you know, still has its challenges. I mean, as we saw over the last four years and what we're seeing today, you know, there's challenges still that still exist. Uh, but I think that it's getting better. And I think we'll continue to fight the good fight, you know, organizations such as yours that, you know, support our calls and are for, you know, equal opportunity for all is what's needed. You know, all I ask for is a fair shot. You know, I'm not, I'm not asking for a hand up. I'm not asking for a hand out. I just want a fair shot to, you know, for me to do what I'm able to do. You know, it's 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 interesting because in a lot of ways, I mean, the structural racism that existed, which gave birth to the Nile, still really is pervasive in Philadelphia, for example, in that, you know, the amount of funding going to these neighborhood pools that's lacking, they're dilapidated, there aren't places to yes. sit, there are no swimming lessons, there's not even shade, you know, what, what yeah. parent or grandparent or, or older brother or sister wants, you know, how long do they want to sit at the pool with their younger sister, right. for example, when there's nothing to sit on, um, and, and when right. there aren't any swimming lessons, um, versus, you know, where our um, funding goes into recreational facilities that are now more, you have to pay to go into them, or, you know, pay... Right. Um, so it seems in a lot of ways that the Nile Swim Club could, is an example of when the resources are put in that, that you know, that it'll thrive, you, you know. Absolutely. Very much so. I think that that is something that definitely needs to be addressed uh, in the city of Philadelphia and other areas as well. Not just in, our, you know, in our area, but everywhere. Um, there is definitely an issue there. And I think that, you know. I'm hoping that it gets better, you know, as new administrations come in office and see the need and feel as though that, you know, that how important this is to not only our community, but all communities. You know, you know, a lot of the times these kids, you know, there are there are issues in our community. There's no doubt. But sometimes this spills over into other communities and that's when they want to react and get involved. I think if they get involved early on, it would alleviate a lot of those issues. You know, I think that, you know, the city should look at getting additional funding for these things. 
and that the you know the city council should you know request it and fight for it. I don't know if there's enough you know folks out there fighting for these things. You know, I think the fact that they, you know, I guess they say, look, we open the pools for you. That's enough. You know, shut up and be gone. You know, when other pools and other locales, you know, have swim teams, dive teams, coaches, lessons, diving boards, you know, shade trees, chairs, cabanas. I mean, I've been to numerous pools throughout, you know, the city and the county. And some of these pools out in the county, I mean, are phenomenal. I mean, I go by them and I take pictures and I send them to my board and say, listen, this is what where we need to be. You know, but those pools, you know, their members, our membership is only, you know, $450 for a family of four. The membership at those pools are over a thousand. Now the challenge becomes, can I charge our, you know, we cannot, I cannot justify, nor would I have the membership I have if I'm charging, you know, double what we're paying. So there's a, there's a, you know, so there's a challenge there. I cannot charge, you know, a thousand dollars to folks in our community that cannot, you know, that financially that would be somewhat of a, of a challenge for them. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a tough balancing act to say the least. Well, that's a good segue to the last two questions. Um, because the, the one is in an ideal world, um, of the future, what role will pools play in civic and community life? Um, I think it will play a, a very significant role. I think that if, you know, our leaders, you know, support them the way they need to be supported and, you know, provide the outlet that these kids need, I think it'll it'll help a lot. You know, I think it'll cut, I think the crime will go down if these kids have somewhere to go that's constructive and they're learning something and they're on a, a swim team or a dive team. I think all that helps in our community. You know, when, like I said, when I, I go back to the, the COVID situation, when they took those swings down and took the basketball courts down and told everybody you can't go anywhere, these kids look for something to do. And, you know, they, they try to, and a lot of times the things they look to do are not the best things to do. So I think that, it, you know, in our future, I think they sh we should continue to work hard to make sure that these pools are open, they're thriving, and they're giving back to our community by giving these kids structure and lessons and, and stuff to do and not just open the pool and let these kids jump around in some cool water. It has to be more than that. It must be more than that. Because you see it as, and this is the, the last question, that you see it about life safety and public health, that this idea absolutely that water education is really connected to, you know, um, you know, healthy communities because you're giving, you're, you're not letting kids go be idle and, you know, any kid in any community, if they're bored, they're going to do, you know, there you go. they're just going to cause hey. mischief. I mean, exactly. You know, water education is very, very important in our community. It's a part of the safety of the public health. Like you said, they can get into drugs. You know, they can get into just, just a downhill slope if we don't begin to teach these kids how to swim, give them structure, give them a place to go where they feel safe. They feel like they don't have to be a part of, uh, you know, gangs and other stuff. And they got to, you know steal to eat and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, we hire kids all day. There's kids that sometimes come to the door and say, you know, listen, I don't have, you know, I can't come in. I'm not a member. If it's a slow day and I only have, there's not a lot of people in the pool, come on in. You know, I'll get you, I don't want you, you know, hanging outside the pool or hanging around the corner, or hanging somewhere. Chances are you don't need to be. And I'll let them in the pool. 
And I'll say, hey, okay, guess what? You know what I did to get in the pool growing up? I picked up some trash. So you see some trash around here while you're around here? Pick it up and toss it in one of these cans for me. And that's what they do. And the next thing, oh, God, thank you very much. The next thing you know, they have something to do. They're, they're, you know, and they're, you know, and it, it just, you know, mutates. Then they have some other friends, and some of those friends' parents are afford, can afford memberships. They say, oh, guess what? I went down to the Nile. You should join, and they can come, you know, get a guest pass and be with their friends. Now they're in the pool safely and not, you know, causing any mischief and not getting involved in drugs and drinking, you know, and anything like that. It's I think that water safety, water education will be, you know, a very, very significant part of our community and all communities uh, going forward. That's so great, Anthony. I only have one more question. Um, yes. Is there anything, are there any myths about the Nile Swim Club that you'd like to correct? Is there any, you know, you guys, you do get some good coverage, media coverage. Right. Is there anything that, mm -hmm. that people keep getting wrong hmm. about you, about, about the, the organization? I don't think so. I mean, there was probably a few things in the past um, that were some issues and concerns um, as far as, you know, when they ran into financial trouble there, you know, there's folks that may have, you know, were saying that maybe mismanagement, I would call it. Um, but I really don't call it mismanagement because I think the founders, um, it was in their heart to do what they did. And then after the founders kind of moved on and passed away, their family members kind of stepped in to help run the pool. And again, they had it in their heart. They, you know, they wanted what was right, but they didn't have, I guess, the wherewithal or the business sense or the financial sense to run the business. And I think that's what was lacking at the Nile Swim Club for several years. And that's what kind of led them down the path of where they were. And then they reached out to me and some others. And now I have, you know, board members that are doctors and, you know, financial folks and business people and other skill sets. And now that we have a board of, you know, this generation of, you know, I, I don't want to say, well, more educated and, you know, business minded, you know, because back then it was all community, community, community which is good and very important. And we will remain a community pool, but at the same time, it's very important that you get the business side of things. You must know how to raise money. You must know how to write grants. You must know how to reach out to folks to get the things done that need to get done. You need to get the the, um, the information out. You know, you know, like I said, if it weren't for the article that was written from the Philadelphia Tribune that Jeff Brown saw, and then Jeff Brown called me and reached out to me and said, listen, I see all these good things going around the Nile. I want to help out. I want to give back. And Jeff Brown wrote a check and gave us a brand new basketball court. So those sorts of things were not happening in the past. And now they are. Well, you're doing such wonderful work, Anthony. And I'm really glad to have Thank your you. voice in the exhibition. And I hope that pool, the exhibition helps um, to bring um, awareness. And um, you and I need to talk a little bit about the magazine that we can talk about Absolutely. next week. Yes. And, and if anyone would like to donate to the Nile Swim Club, feel free. You can go to, you know, nileswimclub.org. All the information about the Nile Swim Club is there. Our No Child Will Drown campaign is available. You can teach, you know, for a certain amount, you can teach a kid how to swim. You can, you know, buy jackets. You can, you know, there's a host of different things that you can do 
you know, we should create, to... we should create a whole page for the magazine that goes. Okay. Yeah. That, that should be like a, um, some kind of, um, little ad, but, um, that would be wonderful. I'd be more than glad to do that. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.